welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cannell, pastor at St. Mark's in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Harris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado, Boulder, and America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. And Zach, we, uh, we sound like we're dragging a little bit, because it's the end of Lent. It's the end of Lent. I got sick in Sacramento, man, which... That sounds like a country song. Could be a song, sick, man. Sick in Sacramento. Sick of Sacramento. Uh, I think it probably is like a Merle Haggard, Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> Young Guns <laughs> ballad against uh, big government. That's right, against big government. Sick in Sacramento. Fun fact, you were in a place named after the sacrament. That's right, the most holy sacrament. That's what Isn't Sacramento that means. California, it's just such a... Wow. All these place names. All these place names. Glorious, glorious instead. I do have a Sacramento update. Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. We talked about the cake song last week, uh, and we talked about the adventure I was about to have to go, try to find Arco Arena in the hopes that outside <laughs> of Arco Arena there would be a statue of Lottie Divac or Chris Weber or uh, uh, Mitch Richmond, one of those guys. Mitch uh, Richmond. Yeah, I was hoping that's what I'd find. Matt, we've, we've missed the boat. They no longer play at what used to be called Arco Arena. They, did, they built a new thing downtown, the Golden One Center in downtown Sacramento. It's so new, they don't even have statues. And I didn't even notice it until after we drove by, and I was like, to my tour guide, I was like, gosh, can we stop at Arco Arena where they play basketball? And she was like, no, they play basketball right there. And I was like, what? Oh, uh. <laughs> Golden One Arena. Golden One Credit Union. Credit Union. Center. It's a center. <laughs> Golden One Credit Union Center. Like the StubHub Center, which is redundant. Exactly. The Stub. It should just, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. It should just be the StubHub. <laughs> Were you the one that pointed that out to me? I don't think so. I should have been, It should just though. be the, the StubHub Hub. <laughs> it's redundant. It is redundant. Uh, yeah, so we're dragging, Matt. We're dragging. It's the end of Lent. What's dragging you down in your neck of the woods, man? What's dragging me down? Uh, just all the planning. All the planning for Holy Week. I mean, especially because, you know, you could just take the files out from last year and do the same things that you did the year before. But for some reason, we're not doing that. And so now I'm, like, uh, rethinking the whole week and it's so much work to do this many services in this many days with this many moving pieces and hopefully people can you relate i can relate because <laughs> campus master going to holden village for holy week yeah it's like having to do a podcast on holy week and it's the same crap from last year so why are we like redoing it again you know it's just so <laughs> uh... what uh how are you mixing it up what's the what are the big changes the new innovative things because we're basically not observing it in an active way I'm sure they'll observe it and hold it. I, I'm yeah. really looking forward to hearing how they do that. Me too. The best part is, I don't like, well, plan please, it. You've never been, you, have you ever been there? No. We had this conversation already, didn't we? You're going mm-hmm. to enjoy it. It's cool. I'm looking forward to it. It just takes forever to get there. Yeah. Because you have to take a plane, mm-hmm. and then a car, and then a boat. And then a bus, right? <laughs> and then a bus, a rickety school bus. <laughs> rickety school it's bus. Crazy. It's crazy. Uh, the biggest concern I have is making the boat because the boat doesn't run very often, you know. Uh, right. And given our reputation, chances are good we'll miss the boat. <laughs> the last time that I was on that boat, when I was at Holden, I had bought like all of the Dan Orlander books. I bought like a stack of them. And then when I was on the boat, uh, Dan Orlander came and sat down next to me and was like, oh, that's great, my book. <laughs> conversation about his book it was glorious oh gosh one day matt i'm gonna be on a ferry on a glacial lake and someone will be like oh i'm listening to the vinyl preacher and i'll be like oh that's my biggest what are you guys doing how are you changing it up i want to know about south la yeah what's happening um well, we're going to do uh, – so Palm Sunday is coming up. The day before Palm Sunday is the March for Our Lives Against uh, Gun Violence, which is kind of a cool connection. On Palm Sunday Eve, there's a there's a march. And so I'll be thinking about some of the connections between those two things. Maybe we'll even make some signs that we'll use at our Palm Sunday march too. That will be fun. Yeah. Uh, I already started hinting at Palm Sunday last week in my sermon because we've been working our way through the – 
the last, the final speeches and sermons of Dr. King, we did the drum major instinct, which made for a really interesting, it was one of those sermons where like I, it took me forever to figure it out. And then if I had more time, I really could have developed this last image, but I had the image, but, but I started like the image of the parade started to open up, right? Cause that's what it is. The drum major instinct, the, hmm. the desire to be first, the desire to lead the parade. Well, then I started thinking about what this parade would look like building off of uh, Palm Sunday, right? And how interesting that is. So already looking ahead, already preparing my people for Palm Sunday. Oh my goodness. Matt, I, um, yeah. I think it's worth just, just explicating a bit here. Uh, Cause I like that a lot. I like that connection that it's the tradition of many congregations. Um, that folks march around outside typically and march into the worship space, at least on Palm Sunday as a part of that Palm procession. And so making that connection between March for Our Lives, which is a gun violence kind of thing. Is that a fair yeah. summation? Um, and connecting that march with the marching that folks will be doing on Palm Sunday is, is brilliant, Matt. I like it. And it's not like it's not an exact correlation. Right. But I just think putting the things in conversation would be really interesting. Yeah. And then let's see the rest of the week. Um, let's see. I talked uh, I talked Jonathan Hempel out of doing Great Wednesday. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> he was really excited by adding a fourth day to the three days. Out of doing and, what? Uh, he he likes to add a fourth day and have a, and do like a youth led service on Wednesday night and I'm always like, "Dude, there's enough." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we prevailed. Now he's working on Good Friday with me. Uh, so Thursday will be when we kick off. Oh, is that the New City Holy Parish Good Friday? Yeah, but it's gonna look super different. So during uh, Holy Week, my uh, brother and his family and my my godson Cooper are coming out, and I've been begging my brother to bring Cooper out so that we can go to Disneyland together. So we're gonna go to Disneyland during Holy Week on Tuesday. <laughs> That's a thing people do during Holy Week, isn't it? Go to Disneyland? Yeah. I think so. Maybe. <laughs> so that'll be happening on Tuesday, uh, a non-liturgical activity. Uh, then we'll skip Wednesday. Um, Thursday, we usually do a Seder meal at St. Mark's, and I know you want me to rant about this. Please. So I'll take I'll take 20 seconds to rant about this. A lot of people think it's really stupid to do a Seder meal on Palm Sunday. But then I was having a conversation with Steve Jerby, who used to be a pastor at, at a um, mostly African descent uh, multicultural congregation in Milwaukee. Now he's out here at Bethel and Suno. Um, and they did a Seder. And he was like, yeah, it's really stupid. People are like, oh, Seders, they're so bad. But in the African-American community, it makes a lot more sense. And I was like, yes, someone else gets it. It was it was brilliant. He actually uh, he and some folks at his congregation rewrote a seder to make it a soul food seder, hmm. so that it really did like root itself even more in the African American experience mm-hmm. using using soul food, which is really interesting. Uh, I asked him to send me that liturgy, but he hasn't yet. I'm gonna have to remind him. Get it together, uh, Jerry. So, <laughs> so for folks that uh, that you know, there are reasons why a seder is a bad idea to pretend to be Jewish. But uh, for all y'all out there uh, that don't know this, if you're serving in an African-American religious community, it takes on this other, this deeper meaning around uh, American slavery uh, and thinking about that. So it's a thing. Uh, I've been here, I've done six of them here at St. Mark's uh, and I I still wrestle with it to try to figure out the best way to go about it, but I do think it's more complicated in an African descent community than it is in a mostly white community. That said, um, you know, the way that we do liturgies like ebbs and flows over time, it changes over time. And at St. Mark's is starting to feel like maybe it's time for a transition uh, with our Monday, Thursday practice too. It's just a matter of whether I'll have time to really <laughs> rethink it entirely. So fortunately, uh, Zach has sent me some stuff on dinner church. Oh, so yeah. let's think about that and uh, think about if there's a way for us to do a uh, dinner church kind of thing. I mean, that's kind of what we do, but just to kind of maybe think about a different way of doing that. Um, People have also been talking a lot about uh, communion at St. Mark's and what's the meaning of communion and how are we going to teach our kids about communion. And maybe this is also an opportunity to do that um, and look at the meaning of, of what this meal is all about. Uh, and foot washing is actually super fun at St. Mark's because uh, like the kids jump in and splash in the water and uh, it's pretty informal but uh, really kind of joyful and fun. 
Friday, we will do a New City Parish Good Friday service. We used to do seven last words, and each church takes a word, but we're not going to do that this year. This year, uh, it's going to be hashtag Good Friday, where we're looking at some of the hashtags of the Me Too, uh, Love is Love, Take a Knee, and the Dreamers, and thinking about how that relates to Good Friday. So there'll still be artistic presentations, uh, but they'll also be preaching and music, and it'll be remixed a little bit. That will be interesting. I think one of the things about that service... I had, we were at Bishop's Colloquy yesterday, and enemy of the pod, Kevin Strickland, was there. Mm. Did not, I did not engage. I did not engage. I should have. But uh, he looked super busy, so I didn't. Um, so exactly when about, you should have struck. struck. <laughs> he was talking about what resources we needed from Churchwide. And I said... Uh, a podcast. Maybe a, yeah, right. We could use funding for our podcast. Um, I said instead of a central resource, maybe some funding to produce local resources mm. uh, would be useful. That we have, we already have like the central resources that we need, but maybe some funding for local resources. And I think that's actually kind of what we do with Good Friday is like we create, we use like the local artists within our communities, and we we create things to reflect in the text, and that's that's really cool. Um, so it's a really good Good Friday service, uh, multilingual, multisensory. And then uh, we'll do a vigil this year. We don't have as many baptisms. We might have two. Everybody complains to me about the length. I begged my brother to bring his family to this vigil so that I would have some more people at it. And then my wife was like, why did you tell him to do that? That service is horrible for children. And I was like, no, it's great for children. There's stories. There's story time. It should be great for children. She's like, no, it's too long and horrible. And so oh, man. every year you got to fight for your vigil, you know? Oh. I wish it was more appealing to more people, but maybe it'll always be just a niche market. I don't know. Yeah. We'll but it's uh, it's it's fun. I don't know if we'll um, use the – what did we use last year? You you lit the fire for us. That's right. And the church is still standing. Steel and magnesium. Steel and magnesium and, like, some alcohol-soaked cotton balls. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that was still one of my favorite moments from last year. Trying to fire on the church patio. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what we'll do while you're up at Holden. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm just going to be at Holden the whole time. We get back on on Saturday there. I do think uh, we have an interesting thing coming up. We do our vigil-like sorts of things. Well, maybe I'll wait. I'll wait. We'll talk about it when we talk about Easter. It's too far away. Let's focus on this. Uh... So I got nothing to report. We would do public foot washing on Thursday, but again, we're going to be away. So I got yeah. nothing. I got nothing. The so the the director of Christian Life at USC, yeah, they have a position like that. He, uh, I had this idea last year that, that I stole from you to do public foot washing, and he was like, "Oh yeah, maybe we should do it next year." Well, then he tells me on Ash Wednesday that they want to do it. They're going to do it the week after Easter. And I was like, what? Why? What are you saying? He's like, I don't know. I'm like... uh, Oh, Christians. Evangelical Christians, really. Yeah. Mm. We love you, evangelicals, some of you. Yeah, we do. All of you. All of you. All of you. Yeah. (laughs) We have love for people and stuff. But also, come on. Come on, guys. Zach... I'm going to take a left turn. Fantastic. So I had Bishop's Colloquy yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh, Bonhoeffer. Rob Saylor was there presenting on Bonhoeffer. I love her. He's really good. Rob's really good. Bobby! He, yeah. uh, he, was, he was my TA for Systematic mm-hmm. Theology. I don't remember if you were in that class, too. No, Probably I was not. not. But he was, he was really good at it, like, explaining. Like, I'd read Tillich and be like, I don't understand any of this. And he would, like, explain it in these really helpful ways. Hmm. And he was a really good lecturer. He gave two lectures on Bonhoeffer. And I read a whole book on Bonhoeffer to get ready because I'm almost a five on the Enneagram, but not quite. And then I started reading Cost of Discipleship. Have mm-hmm. you ever read that? I have. I have read Cost of Discipleship. It's so good. It is good. It's good. He just, he even just I would, the part that I was listening to on the way to church this morning, he talks about the catechumenate. He like mentions oh, yeah? an example of costly grace, right? Like Ooh. we have this like cheap grace. He's like he he has this thing. I wish I had the quote in front of me, but I'm listening to an audiobook where he's like, well, you know, we just baptize and confirm the whole culture without their even without their consent. You know, we just like baptize this whole culture. We don't. We just gave up on the catechumenate. You know, like all of a sudden I'm like, yes. what? <laughs> what? No way. I might be getting back in on the Bonhoeffer. 
yeah, he's really good. I've gotten kind of out on Bonhoeffer. I might get back in. Yeah, yeah, the cheap grace costly years thing. It's uh, it's really hmm. good. It's hmm. good. Hmm. Hey, I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to look that up and put it on the internet and be self-righteous about it. Be self-righteous about it. Bonhoeffer is on Team Catechumenate. Hashtag Team Catechumenate. Uh, is it? Could it? Are we? Are we? Is it? Is it too early? Is it time for the text? Are we? Yeah, we can talk about the text. The texts are really interesting in Holy Week. So yeah, let's move. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Cue the sound effects. Ding, ding. <laughs> so the text for Palm Sunday, they give you these options. You can do the short version if you like cheap grace. But if you want costly grace, you can do the real long version. Mark 14, 1. Yeah, 50, Chris. 47. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Palm Sunday. Well, actually, you get the little processional gospel here too mark 11 uh 1 to 11 procession of palms what do you think if we had uh if we had kevin strickland on the pod we could ask him is this palm sunday or passion sunday it's like a smoothie man it's palm passion palm passion, <laughs> palm passion fruit uh what are we looking at mark's gospel this year right we have, do we get the passion of mark or are we reading john's passion on palm passion. Well, the idea, palm no, the passion. idea is to read. The idea is to read Mark's uh, gospel for Sunday, and then to read John's gospel on Friday. Well, here's the thing. My advice, right? Most people don't preach on Palm Passion Sunday um, because you're reading like five chapters. Uh, though maybe Mark's version is the. Sh- I mean, I would assume Mark's version of the Passion is the shortest. Uh, so maybe more people would preach this year than not. Uh, than in other years. The thing that makes Mark's passion a little more interesting is a curveball that hits you right after Jesus is arrested. <laughs> What's that curveball? Nudity, Matt. There is a nudity curveball, man. 1451, man. Uh, Jesus gets arrested. All of the of his disciples desert him and flee. And then a certain young man who is following them, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. Wow. That's it. And then it just keeps going. <laughs> they took Jesus to the high priest. That's the next word. Uh, there is a random streaker in the gospel of Mark's passion. So lots of people, what they do for Palm Passion Sunday for the passion part is you have like the little copies in Bakersfield, we had like congregational copies of all the different versions that have the have the reading in parts, and you like assign one person's going to be the Jesus. It's like a table read, right? And maybe that makes it less boring or not. I don't. I'm not convinced it. it. Uh, but this year, if you're doing this, make sure you maybe act it out, go for it a bit more. Have a streaker run through the middle of the service to really <laughs> help folks understand how bizarre the streaker part is. Yeah, and he doesn't have any lines. So if you no like lines. this is a good role, if you don't want to have a public speaking role, mm-hmm. here's a chance for you to have a role <laughs> to play at the service. Just run through the sanctuary naked. It'll be great. Naked. You can start with a linen cloth, but then you just You can start with a linen cloth. That's right. <laughs> Hire some people to chase you. Uh, like a mob of people who are angry and grab what? the cloth. What does it mean? What's this what's this guy mean? Are there theories? I meant there's like a million historical theories. Yeah. Is it baptismal? Is that part of it? That's right. He stands for the catechumenate. Uh, <laughs> and what he, he means to say is we must enter the font fully naked, regardless of our age um, or size. He, uh, no, the idea that I have found to try to explain this very bizarre thing is that it is to, the insinuation is that that man who's wearing only a linen cloth is an is some sort of angel, an angelic mm. being, because according to Rohrbauer Molina, an angel wouldn't need like real clothes, just in just the the one linen. And so the idea is that when the angel runs away, uh, to really like hit home that Jesus is completely by himself. Even God, the angel, the the angels have abandoned Jesus, which in a collectivist sort of society. Uh, without the individualist sort of understanding of things would be horrifying. 
And it's only in Mark's gospel, huh? Only in Mark's gospel. John doesn't have time for it. He's too busy being anti-Semitic. Right. And that's probably the other... I mean, I don't know. Do we want to... We should have... You know, if you wanted a professional podcast, talk to Kevin Strickland. He's got bags of money. (laughs) This is not a professional podcast. Because here's the thing that I'll say that I think is true about both of the Passion stories. So this works for Good Friday and for, for Passion Sunday. Use it where you'd like. I ended up preaching this past week uh, on the narrative lectionary in a congregation where they were on John 18, uh, which is a big chunk of the passion, uh, which is like the trial and condemnation of Jesus. And one, I thought I preached a pretty good sermon. BT does. I felt like death. It was a left turn, Matt. This Sunday was the worst I have ever felt while like preaching and presiding. I woke up, by the way, I got tricked, Matt. I got tricked. Well, local congregation like months ago was like, "Are you available on March 11th for just to to supply preach?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's great. You're just down the road, five minutes from my house. It'd be great." Uh, last week, I realized that meant I was doing an 8 a.m. service the day after the time change. So basically, <laughs> 7 a.m. Right? So one, I'm waking up basically Brutal. at like 3 a.m. Feels like. Uh, I'm sick of Sacramento. Feel like death. And there's no way when you're the coverage, who do you call to fill in for you? It right. you can't. Nobody can do the magic like I can do the magic. So I did the whole nope. like I'm not touching people kind of thing. Like it was bad. But the sermon manuscript <laughs> was good. Uh, <laughs> who knows if anybody understood anything I said? Um, but I ended up preaching on this John 18, which is a big part of the passion. And a lot of it was breaking down some of John's apparent anti-Semitism, going into the idea that that within Israel, in Israel, for most of their biblical history, they understood themselves as having two parts that were distinct from one another, Galilee in the north and Judah in the south. And uh, as we talked about, uh, Jesus is from the north, he's from Galilee. And so a lot of what happens in the trial of Jesus in both Mark and John it has to do with the internal like sectarian issues of Israel. So all the times where it typically typically gets translated in John the Jews, it's definitely it's not only not less anti-Semitic, less anti-Semitic to to use Judean rather than Jew. It's also just more accurate. <laughs> so right, for example, I've always had a lot of compassion uh, and empathy for Pilate because Pilate seems to be like he's just some Roman dude, right? Like he doesn't care. He finds him not guilty, but it doesn't matter because he's not. That's not his job in the position. In the position he's there is just to execute the judgment that the Judean religious authorities have already handed down. He was just doing his job, and then he even finds this like clause where he can get out of it, where he's like, "Well, okay, I'll do that thing where like you guys get to pick, the crowd gets to pick." And every year I read the Bible and I'm, I read the story and I'm like, "Well, maybe this year the crowd will do the right thing, right?" Like, it's like this the the escape route has magically opened up before Jesus. Um, in, in Southern terms, it was like when right after Dale Earnhardt died, uh, the waves parted uh, at the four, Firecracker 400 in Daytona and Dale Earnhardt Jr. magically won. It may have been rigged, but it was like that, right? Uh, it looks like things are going to go bad. The storybook ending is not there, but everything opens up. All the crowd has to do is say, release Jesus, we want him, and Jesus will win the day. Uh, but they don't do that. They yell for Barabbas, the thief, the bandit. And so here's the, the whole point of my sermon was like, who's... Uh, in John, in John 18, they set it up with a, an interesting question. They show up to, they bring Jesus to Pilate, and they say, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. And they bring Jesus to him. Which, what? Right? Like, that's the most ironic sounding statement ever. What it literally means is the law did not allow them to execute people. Um, but it sounds like, well, we can't kill people. Could you do it for us? Um <laughs> And then Pilate, and so, like, on one hand, like, their hands are clean. No, we didn't do it. Pilate, the Romans did it. Um, and then Pilate's like, well, I didn't. I put, left it up to the crowd. The crowd did it. I didn't do it, right? Everybody's yeah. running away from this thing. Um, and the, lots of times we think the crowds are stupid. Uh, but there's a little more nuance going on with this crowd question. That's the thing I got into. Mm-hmm. When, when Pilate offers Jesus up to the crowd, he doesn't, he doesn't say, would you like me to release Jesus or would you like me to release Barabbas? Hmm. He says, would you like me to release the king of the Judeans? Right? That's what he says. Pilate doesn't get the sectarian stuff going on. Right? 
and to suggest to a crowd of Judeans that some country bumpkin Galilean might be the king of the Judeans is preposterous. Galilee was poor, no major cities, dependent on farming and fishing. It's like like Jesus went to Colorado State University, the ag school, right? Uh, he is beneath those of us in, in high places like Boulder uh, and in Jerusalem. And so the crowd who cares about honor in ways that we can't understand are forced into a corner, and they have to defend their honor and demand the release of Barabbas. So it clearly wasn't. The crowd had no choice. Their hands were tied. Who Everybody's running away. It's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. We just we just got to kill this dude. Wow. Jesus is the only one who's not running away from what's about to happen. Jesus is the only one not running away. Wow. Political machinations. House of cards. Game of Thrones. Setting it up. No way out. No way out. The only way out is to deny uh, all of our false boundaries and walls and... Hmm. separations that we erect between one another. Jesus refuses to play along with that. And to the point of death, he holds together the Judeans, the Galileans, the Greeks, like we talked about last week, the Romans. Jesus holds it all together, man. Yeah. How do you... I mean, if you don't preach on it, how do you... How do you set it up for folks? I mean, you like... Like, sure, like part of it is to experience it, right? And I, and I, I get that. Um, but without any sense of, without an interpretation, how do you like, without an interpretation, you're going to fall into the interpretations, um, right? Other unhelpful interpretations, maybe. Well, there's, I mean, one solution is to have a streaker. That is one solution. I think that would clearly illuminate the entire text. <laughs> Uh huh. That's a good question, Matt. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do like stepping into it. There's something, um, there's something powerful, even with the, I mean, to have the the congregation become a part of that drama. I always like to read the parts of the chief priests. Yeah. <laughs> just to illustrate, mm-hmm. right? Like, it just, yep, I'm part of this too. And it's always fun when you can line up some of those things that we step into this drama. Yeah. So, um, one more thing on Palm Sunday that I uh, so we we have been working our way through speeches and sermons of Dr. King and this the one that we're we'll be looking at this week is uh, it's called the title is remaining awake through a great revolution and I, I didn't get it at first um, but it's it's a sermon that he preached on Palm Sunday in 1968 his last Palm Sunday which is days before he's killed and and then I finally got it last week that it was it was a riff off of Jesus asking the disciples to stay awake in Gethsemane, right? I don't know why it took me uh, several years to make that connection, but uh, finally made it. So I think that's I may use that for a framing device. You know that that's that that's our, our if we have a role in this drama is to stay awake um, or to be aware of that that tension, but that there's. If he's going to describe it as a revolution, what's the revolution that's going on um, in this text? What's the thing that's what's the thing that's turning uh, in the midst of this whole drama? Which gets us to what's it what's it mean, Zach? What's what 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 do we do with this? What do we do with the cross? What do we do with the explain cross? Explain it. What explain, do we do with it? That we explain it. Explain that's the it. answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We explain the cross, man. So. So I've been, I felt I, I I had to wrestle with it anew last week with these uh with these snakes right and this yeah. lifting up, and it made it so weird. I felt like that text made made it so weird, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a good thing because it needed to be weirded up uh, all over again. Uh, and we tackled the cross in our uh, new member slash catechumenate slash <laughs> baptized we live Lutheranism as a way of life class uh, and talked about the cross we watched a little Nadia Boltzweber video from the anime faith series uh, it's a pretty good one uh, she's really irreverent and like makes fun of like all the other theories of the cross except for the one that she believes in which is pretty <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty good um, but I had to wrestle with it again and I think it's um yeah it's really interesting. I had a question for you yes. because the Anime Faith uh, Journal that features it, they've got this thing where there's the four like major 
theories about the cross historically. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called, it says the cross as the satisfaction of God's wrath. And there's two branches. One of them is substitution from Anselm of Canterbury, right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is the scapegoat from Rene Girard. What? I know. Aren't you a Girardian? I, I was am. like, explain that to me. I don't know what that is. I don't understand. Are you serious? It's not substitution. <laughs> look it up. That's your homework, Zach. It's your homework. I'll have to look up, see what, see what that means. What is the Girardian understanding of the cross? Do you really want it, Matt? Is this yeah. Since... yeah, I want it right. I want it. Yeah, it's Holy Week. Now's the time. Now's the time. Uh, I mean, oh. I'm going to try to set it up in a way I've never set it up before because I just remembered what my good news was last Sunday when I was preaching on John 18, which was really good because what I did is I cheated, man. Because at night I was preaching on RCL snakes. Uh, so I worked in snakes nice. <laughs> really smoothly, really easily into the John 18 um, and told that story that I told last week about when I stepped on a snake as a kid in my great-grandfather's house and running away from it. And the, that's the irony of the cross as well. It's the, And that's what the good news is. The good news is that the thing that we are running away from is the thing that we are running to. So maybe we don't have to run. What Girard, that's interesting that it's up the tree of like satisfaction. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Is that the, what the tree trunk is called there? Mm-hmm. Being, hopefully that, that branch is on the opposite side of the substitutionary uh, Anselm of Canterbury branch. They're because, different brains, but it's like the same like quadrant. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same idea, but you flip some characters around. Whereas um, Anselm's idea and what's been the culture has handed to us pretty heavily is that we've all been um, bad little boys and girls, and and God is super upset about that, uh, and God demands uh, some sort of payment for for how bad we've been, uh, mm-hmm. and so Jesus is just a hell of a guy. Because uh, he stood up and took one for the team, he uh, volunteered his tribute for humanity, uh, died on the cross, and now we're all good. And so we should be forever and eternally grateful to Jesus for making us square with with God again. A couple problems with and that, to the, and and to the Father for for giving up His only Son. Yeah, I mean that. What a sadomasochistic kind of guy this God is. Right? Right. Jesus. Not only... Yeah. Exactly, Jesus. He, uh... <laughs> not only does he dem- this God demand blood, but uh, it'd be real nice if it could be his own, like, his only son. Which doesn't square with most of what we hear about what God is like and wants for us throughout the Bible. Rene Girard's take is that, that the cross in Jesus' death is to satisfy not the demands of God, but the demands of humans. That Jesus is the Lamb of God in the sense that it is the God's Son given to us because we decided we needed that sacrificial victim. That the story of God, the story of the Bible, is the story about uh, God giving us everything we need and more and us fighting over it, not having... Uh, not feeling like we have enough. And so the only way we've come up with to know that we are holy in the sense of that wholeness, that we are whole with God, that good news, the thing that the thing we're running from is the thing we're running to is that we already are. So we don't have to, we can stop running. We can stop uh, fighting each other for, for this position of, of love with God. You know, I mean, that, that's interesting. If you think about the satisfaction of our, of our wrath that's kind of how the story sets it up right i mean the whole story is about these humans that do all these horrible things the story the story of the passion like it's not like it's a story about god being really mad right like that's that's not in the actual gospel text what's in the gospel text is a bunch of humans being bloodthirsty as humans are Mm -hmm. right nobody fits the text nobody's acting out really in the passion, the chief priests, the religious officials, sincerely are not, don't appear to be particularly bloodthirsty as far as people of their time were. And they had genuine concerns. A guy running around claiming to be the king of the Judeans would have upset the agreement they had with the Romans and would have brought violence and disrupted the peace. And their duty and responsibility is not just to, there are elements of it in which they're really obsessed with purity stuff, temple purity. But they're executing Jesus not because of purity, temple purity. They're executing Jesus because he's an insurrectionist and a threat to, mm-hmm. to the status quo, which they probably admit is not perfect. But that if they don't execute Jesus, then the Romans are going to not let 
this unrest happen, right? And they're going to squelch everything. And Pilate wants to keep everybody happy, right? The Romans are really good oppressors, as, as oppressors go. You want those folks, uh, right? They allowed the Judeans to, to have complete say over their own religious system and power. They got to do all of that except for murder people at the end um, because they honored and respected because they knew that was a way to keep peace and that's what they were interested in more than anything else right and the crowds are doing the things they're supposed to be doing and the system that we've set up uh with these barriers these unpassable boundaries between the romans and the judeans and the galileans um and the system we've made up in the end it demands that that system demands jesus dies well i think it's really so i guess i'd uh i'd say even if you don't preach uh, your usual 40-minute sermon <laughs> that you should you should at least set it up and frame it. I feel like we probably say this every year too, but I do think it's helpful because like you said, like the culture has um, pretty heavily drilled that substitutionary atonement theory into us. Um, and it's not as if there's, you know, only one clear alternative, but you as a preacher might at least set up um, an alternative for your people to be thinking about this story and what it might mean for us. Because if you don't, like, we're still going to be stuck with substitutionary atonement. Like, yeah. I feel like preach, preaching is where it happens. Preaching is where that those alternative possibilities um, might at least be suggested. And I'm not a crazy Girardian, I don't think, right? Um, I don't go too too far deep into it. Um, cause you can get there. That's a, a deep, deep rabbit hole, um, beyond cause it's, it's theory, not theology. Yeah. I mean, I think like any of the, any of the, the four theories, if you go too deep into them, you're going to, you're going to leave behind the actual cross. Right. Um, but some kind of framing and wrestling is important. I think. And what I think, I do think that the Girardian kind of perspective is, is helpful and important because it answers questions that people don't know that they have or don't feel comfortable saying about this thing that they think they're supposed to believe. Because uh, mm. at least with our students, they think they're supposed to believe the kind of normal substitutionary atonement. And this redeems a lot of it. Maybe it doesn't redeem that, uh, that idea, but it redeems so much of the language and the imagery that we have in the yeah. church, right? Like, Lamb of God never worked for me. Like, what the, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> right. No. Uh, <laughs> until, like, I considered it from, like, did the Girardian kind of thing, and all of a sudden, Lamb of God, these songs are singing, oh, yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Yeah, the things I've been saying are true, but I didn't know how they were true, you know? Um, in the end, it makes us whole. I do want, I want to add the, this tag at the end here to, to put a bow on it. In the end, the cross makes us whole in this perspective, and, and I think universally, because we're engaged in this, Jesus needs to die because he's not a Judean. He's not one of us. He's not one of us. He's not us. We need to kill him. So that any time we get that urge to declare that someone is not us, Jesus has volunteered to take that position so that against our will, everyone of us who's not Jesus is is now made whole because his voluntary position on the outside. So it's like a judo trick where we where God uses our own sinfulness against us and pulls us into the wholeness and fullness of God, kicking and screaming. Uh, so set that up for folks, preacher. Do it short. You got to be short and sweet. Yeah. But but you can do it. You can set it up. So that's Palm Sunday. Palm <laughs> That's Palm Sunday. 40 minutes in, that's Palm Sunday. <laughs> and Good Friday. I think we just covered Good Friday. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't, man, I don't know why I'm really drawn into the cross this year. Um, but I'm just really feeling like, yeah, it's important to set that up somehow. Even on Good Friday, people do different things. Um, I know so you're preaching maybe longer or shorter. I had a, when we were planning Good Friday, somebody asked, if we were going to have communion at the service. And I was like, no, I think actually, I think we don't because I think we fast from Monday Thursday to Easter Vigil, right? And I was right. I was totally right. I remembered. It's almost like I've been to graduate school. <laughs> um, to learn something as significant as that. It does feel good when you remember those things, right? <laughs> right. Because there's always a part of my head where I'm like, that's that. that. I don't think so. I know I'm supposed to know the answer to this, but I... <laughs> So, yeah. So you might, yeah, we did cover Good Friday. Good stuff. Book ending Good Friday? I mean, do you preach on Monday, Thursday? 
I do think one of the things that's really helpful that I'll say again about the, even if your congregation doesn't do a Seder meal, I think the, the plus of the Seder that I say every year is that it brings out that Exodus um, mm-hmm. narrative. It brings out that Passover, which I never really connected that strongly with um, with Holy Week as a kid growing up. Like it just wasn't as vivid in my head um, as it is when you actually like go hard with that story for Monday, Thursday. Um, and it really brings out a more collective understanding of salvation. Um, it's really interesting. So even if you don't uh, go all Seder meal on it, um, you might really think about that Exodus um, setup. Matt, I have, a, I have a hot Monday, Thursday take. Yeah. Hot Monday, Thursday take. Uh, I think I'm a little out on Monday, Thursday. Uh-oh. This year and this season of life. Um, Why are you out on it? I think it's a little too romantic. Right? Like, it's pretty, and, like, and Jesus got down, and he washed their feet, and they had the Last Supper, and Jesus like, one of you will, well, actually, like, you all abandon me, and, and Peter's like, no way, never, not me. I'm disappointed that you get, we don't, you got to come back on Friday. If you can find a way to connect, I think is important. People probably aren't going to come to every day of the three days. Everybody's not, for sure. Um, and it disappoints me every year. Yeah. But you get this, like, Monday, Thursday's kind of fun. You know, it's not like people like it. But here's the thing, right, is the next day, then you get, like, if we're in Mark's Gospel like we are this year, you get the sleep sleepiest. You get sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd who's one of the disciples. Did you catch that? Did you see what, No, President Trump called, called Chuck Todd sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd. He said no, he, like, he did not. He did. He said he's a sleepy son of a bitch. It was oh part of his like random like rantings in Pennsylvania last week. Oh um, my god. We keep it uh, relevant on this podcast. We're up to date with the news and stuff. Um, you get the you get just a bunch of sleepy Chuck Todds in the in the Garden of Gethsemane because uh, they just fall. They have narcolepsy, man. Jesus walks away for five seconds and they are out. And they're like, so sorry. I will never sleep again for the rest of my life. I swear it. And Jesus is like, what did you say? (laughs) (laughs) The Gospel of Mark, they snore like cartoons, right? You get the whole... (laughs) Yep. All the promises they made are broken immediately, right? If you're going to tie the... I mean, that's maybe the thing where you tie the naked guy if you were going to preach on Good Friday. Um, Loving one another, we're living into this commandment. We do the, the ritual washing of each other's feet. Um, but the reality is next day ain't nobody gonna be there it's all gonna fall apart yeah and Jesus will be utterly and completely alone well I don't know if I'll be able to pull you back in on Monday Thursday but here's a here's a pitch I'll reach back reach back to my experience of Monday Thursday in Mexico this little rural town in Mexico some oh my gosh uh, 10 years ago was that 10 now 9 years ago it was 9 which is insane. And it's crazy. We're, we're super old. Um, but so, so it's Monday Thursday, right? And uh, a super Catholic uh, place. So like the whole, the whole freaking town is Catholic. Um, and, and so we go to the Monday Thursday service cause I had to go to all three days and it's like the priests just, they just wash each other's feet, right? It's the weirdest service that you're just so like, it's not participatory at all. Right. You're just like watching, these people watch to their speed, which is fine. And then the service is over and you go out and there's like this massive, um, there's this tradition called the, 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 the seven churches. And you're supposed to go visit the seven different Catholic churches. This is how many churches there are in one small town, right? Cause every little neighborhood has its own church. And so you walk around, you visit each of the churches and you get like a little tamale and you're atole and, and in between, uh, people are not stupid, so they set up these little food carts and stuff, you know, like because there's all these people on the street. So it's this massive street party on Monday, Thursday after service, massive street party. And I was like, this is so what I was remembering, like my favorite thing about the Monday, Thursday service um, when I was a young adult before I got to Mexico it was like the stripping of the altar. I always found it so powerful and it's so somber and so like, you know, it's just like really, really dark and 
<laughs> and this experience was the opposite. It was this crazy, it was this street party for Monday Thursday. And I thought about it, and I was like, well, yeah, like if you were gonna have a last meal, you want yeah. to be the most de- do you want it to be the most depressing thing ever, or do you want to have no. a street party? I'd rather have a street party, you know, like. In some ways, it makes a lot of sense. I had to throw a huge party on Monday, Thursday, and then it's the end. You know, I mean, this is the last meal. Go all out for the last meal. Uh, what if you're? What if it's? What if you went hard on the last meal and had a party? <laughs> you can always get me back in with food, Matt. Um, which brings me into a, a public service uh, announcement. Uh, yeah. There's been there's been some talk on the interwebs about a, a the vinyl preacher. Uh, road trip to, to wild goose there's some people interested in that uh in north carolina uh but matt what if we did the vinyl preacher trip to central mexico uh with with dr christina heiser uh and uh scorpions so, I, uh, so so rob Saylor was at this thing yesterday and he's he once again made his pitch for the sabbaticals that he i can't his, do it this funds it's you can't only do for the campus pastor. It's only for congregational pastors. Well, start your new congregation. <laughs> Working and then on you it. can qualify. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that'll be part of the sabbatical. We'll go to Central Mexico. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you do sabbatical, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Final preacher. Road trip. Global. It's going to be like, um... Or North American, at least. That's North American. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Go on out. We've got a lot of different perspectives in the podcast here today. We do. We do. Uh, should we vigil? Yeah, yeah. We can start the vigil and maybe we'll continue it at the Easter. Cool. And the Easter pod. But yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you? I know you love the. You love a good vigil. How are you feeling about it this year? Are you out? Are you in? <laughs> where, where are you at with the vigil after? Uh, I love a good vigil. Several years of pastoring. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get to vigil. Like, I get to participate in vigils. I don't get to like plan them in the way well, that like you do. You, what you could do is you could just fly out to Los Angeles for twenty four hours. And That's. <laughs> You know, I'm going to be in uh, Seattle, so I might as well just... West Coast. Shoot on down. <laughs> I'll just drive the car on down, the rental car on down. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of of, uh, of the vigil still. I do get Chris's perspective, though. I think it's pretty heavy. I, I get like the kind of battering ramness of it year after year after year after year. But I think I think some of that can be offset by the role that it might play in like congregational life as a purist of the catechumenate. So we have students who are excited. I was trying not to say this, but I'll say it now because uh, we're because I don't I'm not in charge of our vigil uh, or the vigil that is adjacent to me. But instead, we'll do Easter evening. So we're going to do affirmation of baptism with one of our students at Easter Vigil, who is a non-binary gender person kind of a thing. Um, and uh, this year has changed their name uh, legally, uh, and they wanted to change their name in a religious sense. Uh, so we're going to do kind of like a name change as a part of affirmation of baptism as a part of that. And I think that's going to be, people aren't going to get excited because it's Easter or the Vigil, but they go get excited for this important part in the life of our community. No, that sounds phenomenal. Like, and, and I mean, yeah, if you're going to be thinking about change that, I mean, that's, yeah. Think about life change. Think about renewal of, um, recommitment and all those things. Yeah. You got it. Well done community. Yeah. (laughs) Way to go humans. Keep on living together and being you. Yeah. I was really excited. We stumbled into it. They were like, I really like, I wish I could do like my name change thing at, uh, do like an affirmation of baptism for that. And I was like, Oh, you should have told me that weeks ago. And they're like, well, why? Cause we could have done, well, we still can. Never mind. We're just going to do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the length is a thing, right? The length is a thing with the vigil. Um, but again, I I know I said it last year cause I say it every year, but that, that quote in the, uh, from the Ents in Lord of the Rings, 
uh, about how the Ents speak very slowly uh, because they only say things if they're worth taking the time to say them. And so we tell the greatest hits of the Bible there at Easter, and uh, it's worth sitting down with them, you know? And maybe that's the thing we're trying to get at, a a thread to tie all these things together, and maybe preaching advice for the three days this year is to take the time, that it's important to take the time to sit with these texts. Um, So maybe in an abbreviated version of a sermon on Good Friday, you can't fully unpack the mystery of the cross, that sounds a little facetious, but like you can't get into some of the... When we don't preach on Good Friday and we read perhaps some of the most important texts in Christianity and we don't ever get to provide commentary, homiletical advice on them, uh, we miss something, I think, in our role. But to use the three days as a one... Oper- maybe our normal preaching advice that we got from Bishop, Dr. Reverend Craig Satterley is that a sermon should... The main goal of the sermon should be to proclaim one piece of good news. Um, mm. Maybe your the the goal of your preaching during Holy Week would should be to preach one piece of good news, um, and stretch your legs out and take the opportunity to do some weird, interesting stuff. Maybe you don't preach three fifteen minute sermons, uh, but think of it as one sermon that you in the same way because that's 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 what the liturgy is. The liturgy is one liturgy over three days, not three distinct services um think of your preaching in the same way well good luck preachers and i think my holy week good news is the thing that we are running from is the thing that we are running to (laughs) you already have holy week good news look at you well i got paid to preach on it last week because of the narrative lectionary heretics but the heretics pay well Well, I'm going to get there. Got to get there. And I look forward to coming back with a recap of what Holden Holy Week was like. Yeah, that sounds really, um, sounds phenomenal. Well, cool. Well, I think that we've uh, clearly covered every possible issue that you could have with Holy Week. Yeah, I don't hear any complaints this week about... (laughs) What about 1 Corinthians? It's in there. Just... (laughs) Listen to what it. We listen- oh, we got to do songs. What are we listening to? That's a good question, Matt. That I was hoping you'd answer first while I feverishly search Spotify. But I do have a lead-in. I've got okay. a lead-in. I've got a Palm Sunday song. Um, yeah, it's from a gentleman called uh, is a legend in his own right, John Legend, called "Marching into the Darkness." Oh, uh, that's a good one. Which is a good Palm as we're marching in. Uh, Who will be the latest to fall? We're marching into the dark. We're chasing their fading star. Oh, it's a good way to start your Holy Week. It's Marching into the Darkness with John Legend. That's really great. Can you pair that with um, a song that we've done a couple of times, but if you did I Will Follow You Into the Dark. Oh, my gosh. Another good one from uh, from Death Cab, right? Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, like, yeah, Into the Dark. And then you think about what will emerge from the dark uh, at Easter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good stuff. Well, I'm going, uh, I'm going, uh, I need, if I'm going into Holy Week, I gotta, I gotta bring out the big guns. <laughs> so oh, man. I'm going, I'm going straight to U2. It's just going to be an all U2 Holy Week. Uh, I'd, I'd started off with that drumbeat of Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday, which mm-hmm. fits both the marching drum of the the Palm Processional and the blood uh, of the Passion narrative. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Uh, for Monday, Thursday, I'd go with Until the End of the World, which is a song from the perspective of Judas. It's so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. That song, when I discovered uh, when I discovered that that song was about Judas, it blew my mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> when, I was, when I was when I was a high school. Uh, student and was only listening to DC Talk and Jars of Clay, and I was like, "What is this?" And uh, it was all over from there. And then, uh, and then for Good Friday, I'd say you two's uh, "Wake Up Dead Man," the last song mm. on the Pop album. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, help me, "Wake Up Dead Man." And then, uh, and then they follow that up. The very so that's the last song on the '97 Pop album. And then uh, in 2000, the first song on "All That You Can Leave Behind" is uh, "Beautiful Day" up through stony ground, which would be a nice. That's uh, a nice and bullying it to Easter hymn. See if your congregation will do that for the hymn of the day at your YouTube for Easter. <laughs>
I believe in you, American Lutheran Church in Burbank. <laughs> Matt, I'm slowly yeah. working my way working my way through here, and we're gonna we're gonna get a good one. I am gonna go with for Monday Thursday. I'm gonna go with Commons, the food off of B, which has that beat. You may not know the food by name, but when you hear that beat, oh my gosh, it's uh, it's good, ain't it? It's. It's all the it, it gets the complexity to Monday Thursday that I wish we had there that I want to convey. I walked in the crib. I got two kids and my and my baby mama late. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. So I did what I had to did because I had to give do do do, right? Because I'm up all night getting my money right until the blue and whites po 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 po. But the money coming slow. But at least a, no slow motion better than no uh oh uh oh. Everybody's just got to do what they got to do. But let's have some food. Let's have the food before we get. To good Friday. It's Commons, the food, off of B. Who, I have a funny Commons story. Have I told this? Tell it. So Common was on campus in Boulder a couple weeks ago. And Common was on a Tuesday night, of course, which is when our main programming happens. So half my students left in the middle of the of our programming to go see Common. And uh, I was trying to be cool and stuff, you know. And, uh, and I was like, so what's, uh, who's Common, like, Who's opening for Common? Like, he's the headliner, right? And they're like, nah, he's just talking. Like, it's a lecture. He doesn't. He just, what? He just talks now. He doesn't do music anymore. What? And I was like, oh, well, that's... He gave a lecture? He gave a lecture. Wow. Why would you go wow. see Common? I mean, I appreciate Common and stuff, right? But if I got to choose what he did standing before me on a stage, lecture would not be my... My first option. Um, Matt, I'm going to put a slightly problematic song, but a good one on there. It's Old Crow Medicine Show. One of the things that we have done historically on Good Friday that we won't do this year because we won't be here is we do like kind of a bluegrass Good Friday service where we sing a lot of the really sad, unredeemable songs of... um, I'm going to flip it up a bit. Yeah, unredeemable songs of bluegrass. Because uh, most of them, like, really... The, the good news of bluegrass is that things will be better in the by and by. Uh, all you have to do is die and things will get better. No hope in this world. Uh, and I was about to put... Um, I was about to put the Old Crow Medicine Show's uh, My Good Gal, which is your, like, uh, kind of classic murdering a lady song. <laughs> um, My Good Gal Ain't No Good No More. Uh which starts off really sad, and then you realize in the end that this guy has, has murdered this person. Um, but there is a really fun, or not fun, I think they're fun, a female group did a version of it. Hooray for the Riff Raff. So Hooray for the Riff Raff is a female band. They're a little acoustic-y, Americana-ishy, uh, and they did their version of that kind of uh, a murdered my wife or girlfriend kind of uh, of song. Uh, and it's really good. It's called um, The Body Electric. Oh, man. And the chorus is so good. Oh, and tell me what's a man with a rifle in his hand going to do for a world that's just dying slow. Tell me what's a man with a rifle in his hand going to do for his daughter when it's her turn to go. Woo! Uh, if you're looking for Good Friday, as Girardi in perspective, um, what's a man with a rifle in his hand going to do for this world that's just dying slow? It's hooray for the riffraff, the body Electric. Sweet. We've got a good Lenten playlist. Don't we? I just added it to the to the extended 32-song, two-hour Lenten playlist we've got. and gets you through Holy Week. Right? Maybe you don't preach. Maybe you just play the playlist. <laughs> For two hours. Or the podcast. <laughs> the Lenten podcast, which, you know, we'll get all the hours you need of, of Holy Week Holy Week worship. Oh. <laughs> I've got one more song, Matt, because oh, no. I'm digging my more. vigil. He's got more songs. Uh, once, you know, it took a while to get your, your engines moving on these songs, but once, once you started once going. Once I started going, because uh, I need an Easter vigil song. I got my Monday, Thursday, I got my Good Friday. My Easter vigil song is Modest Mouse Float On, which is all we're going to be doing on Saturday night. Water's going to be everywhere. Horse trough. Uh, we're all float on, all right? Already. <laughs> horse trough or inflatable swimming pool or inflatable swimming pool well that answers everybody's questions yep you are good to go preachers march into the darkness and we will see you all next week for 
Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. You're going to be tired and not want to have to write a sermon or preach anymore. But we got you. We got you. That's why we're here. We got you. I don't got nothing to do during Holy Week, so I'm just going to be working on Easter ideas. Or Easter 2 ideas. Either way, I got you. We got you. Easter. Easter. Everybody comes in like it's the biggest Sunday of the year, and you're like, I just finished all my big stuff. This is what? <laughs> this is just... You know? Where were you last night? That's what I always feel like on Easter. Where were you last night? Where were it's the you? Worst. It's that's the what, worst. That's what Jesus says on Easter, too. <laughs> right? Where the hell were you guys? <laughs> hey, you guys remember that time I got... No, you don't? You don't remember I got killed because you all ran away? Mm. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Show up. All right. Peace out. It's been real. Vinyl.